What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, Uber Lyft driver and gig economy news. Sponsored by Curry.com, WithPara.com, UberLiftDrivers.com. I'm your host, SJ. It's time to get it on. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another week of Rideshare Rodeo. Uh, this week, I have uh, Moves Financials CEO and founder, Matt Spoke. And uh, we have about just under an hour discussion. And it's we really get into everything about Moves. Um, I even dig into some, some areas that... Um, hadn't been fully talked about yet so we we really we really tapped into this and i think it's a it's a very good piece and all gig workers should give it a listen you might want to do it you might uh want to at least put it on your radar you might not want to do it yet but regardless um you should know about this um it's another you know it's another one of those things and it's not like solo at all out of seattle that only seattle people can use but moves is uh it's able for uh, so many people to access right now. Um, it's not like that, but it's something that should be on your radar, whether you're ready to pull the trigger or not. Um, because if we all had, like I said, if we all had uh, a solo in our area, all it does is guarantee a pay. I mean, you can go in there and they can say, we'll guarantee you're going to make this. And you can say, I already make that. Or, you know, really? Okay. And they can, they alter your things around a little bit. If you're curious about that solo piece, go back and listen to it. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 episodes ago, maybe. But um, today we're going to have Matt Spoke on. I do have a couple pieces of news I want to I want to run through a little bit, though, first. Um, and again, I'll put the three links up. They're all on uberliftdrivers.com. So you can find them all on the, on the website. But um, just in the past few days. So Uber had, what was it, January 10th pinned as their return to work day for employees post-pandemic. As of two days ago, they have now um, they have indefinitely postponed office reopening into 2022. So I don't know how that's indefinitely, but that's actually the wording. Indefinitely into 2022 um, due to the um, uncertainty surrounding the COVID-19 variants. So I, I don't know. It's um, you know, I, 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 I'd be interested to dig into this a little more when I have a little more time and see what kind of perks Uber is getting by not operating out of the, out of their offices, because part of me is starting to think they're seeing part of their part, their, their path to profit being in that, whoa, if we don't have to have the employees here, even though they're still employees, you know, if we can have them working from home. I'm starting to think they're liking this model. 
Um, I know they still own the buildings. They they own the new building they bought in Dallas. They own um, some property still in San Francisco. And it's big properties that they're still paying all their um, taxes on. But again, that's land, people. They own the property. They own the building. So if they're not having to turn on any power or you know just everything, no power except for like emergency power, um, just things that you know you have to keep on in the building, but you don't have to use. I mean, the bills alone and all the other things. I'm wondering if they're starting to see this as, oh, wait a minute, you know why? Why would we ever return to the office? <laughs> um, so I don't know. Um, you know, these are huge offices. It would say a lot, but I, I, I am going to want to do some digging into this because I was I was under the impression that they were going back at least in impartial. Like this group needs to be back. This group needs to be back. This group needs to be back. These people will be hybrids. These people can still work from home. I thought they were starting to like make a system, but now they're just pulling the plug again. And to me, that's very strange. So that is on my radar, and we will be discussing that more for sure. Uh, the other one. Okay, so um, the California Public Utilities Commission um, asked Uber last year to hand over information about, about assaults and harassments. Uber did not do so. At the time, um, Uber had argued that it would be a violation of privacy for victims. So this is why, because I just had this discussion recently, like with somebody about, you know, why does, um, why why does Uber not just turn things over to the police? Why, in the case of the Kalamazoo killing, in real time, wasn't that guy identified when the person called Uber? I mean, there's there's just a lot of, I mean, privacy is a thing, obviously, um, and even though it's the police calling, Uber can still claim privacy. However. Let, let us not forget that 58 million of us were hacked by Uber in, 20, in December 2017, and it wasn't until five weeks later that they got caught that that happened. They did not come out and publicly announce that our accounts had been hacked. They got caught and then publicly announced it. And again, this is one of those things, people, where Uber gets a PR spin out of a bad story. So they actually looked to many like they came out and did this, but they didn't. Um, so anyway, this the California Public Utilities Commission asked for that to be handed over. Um, they it went to court. Um, Uber, or the California uh, Public Utilities Commission wanted fifty nine million dollar fine imposed on Uber um, to help fund passenger safety promotion and some other programs but uh, uber now is to pay nine million dollars to settle the complaint that was asked for 59 million um, over sexual assault and harassment reporting in california alone so they asked for 59 million to put some safety protocols in place they they're getting nine and that was the offer made by uber was to pay nine of the fifty nine, and you know it's just it's just another thing. But again, the common thread here between the last story and this one is, um, 
they're putting a positive spin on this. It's it, it. The story is in most. You really have to dig into some of these because the story in most markets is, or in in a lot of papers is, Uber is going to pay nine million dollars, uh, to to help uh to help fight sexual assault and harassment, um, in California. And to a lot of people, that might sound like a lot of money. I mean, it is a lot of money. Nine million dollars is a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things, the big picture. Let us not forget that Uber spent two hundred and ten million dollars uh, fighting um, AB five, which I'm against AB five. I I don't like it. I don't think it belongs. I think it it it. I think it's an awful thing. Um, I've seen the damage it's done outside of the gig economy, and in fact, I'll get to that in just a second about a last piece we're going to be doing this week live on AB five. But um, regardless. I mean, that's, you know, they had to spend $210 million with DoorDash, Instacart, and Lyft, with Uber putting out the majority of that money, though. So $210 million, which I think about $70 million of that came from Uber, um, just to fight for Prop 22 to, to, to get a carve-out for, wor- for platform gig workers against AB5. Okay, well, they dropped that like nobody's business, and now they're, you know, they're... They're asked to pay $59 million fine for sexual abuse and harassment, and they bargained it down to nine. We'll pay nine. You know, it's to the people who read a lot of these articles, it doesn't get into the 59 they were asked to pay or this or that or the other. It just says that they're going to pay $9 million to get this new program lifted. And to me, I mean, you know how I feel about this kind of stuff, bogus PR and all that. But this is false advertising. I mean, to me, yes, Uber. It. it I mean, the, every headline should read, "Uber will not pay fifty-nine million dollars. They will only pay nine um, to settle complaints over sexual assault and harassment in California." That's how everyone should read. Um, and then do your story. Everyone, do your story however you want. But that's how the headline should read, or some version of that. It should not promote Uber as. Wow, this company is putting in nine million dollars to help people not get raped and this and that and the other. They're not, and it's it's just sad that you know that they can turn a bad piece of, you know, there there used to be the saying that any news, any any what is it? Any news is good news, or any 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 publicity is good publicity. Um, I never really I never really validated that much um, because I saw too many negatives on on. In any example of that, however, it, Uber seems to do a great job at proving that true. I mean, they always take a bad story and spin it as, "Hey, we're in the press right now in around the world for this. How do we turn it into something that we did and is good?" <laughs> I mean, I, it's just it's just horrifying. Um, so, another the last thing I wanted to talk about today, and again, all three of these articles will be in the show notes. And they are all up on uberliftdrivers.com. So even while you're listening to the podcast, if you want to check them out, go ahead. Um, but uh, so this this one I've reported on a few times in the last week. It's something that we talked about two years ago, and they actually did try it. Lasted about a month in the United States, and then they tried it again about just or it was about two and a half years ago, and then then just be prior to the pandemic, I think it was like February of 2020 or January, they were about to launch it again, and then it just kind of got put to the side like most projects, not because of the pandemic, 
because it was supposed to be launched and then it was still another six weeks or so before the pandemic hit. But um, they are finally uh, releasing audio recording features this month. So it's going to start releasing in different cities. Um, this is in, in the United States too. In other, in other states, it is... Uh, um, you know, it's it's already there, and and so anyway, what's going to happen is, I mean, you can read the articles on, on UberLiftDrivers.com, but basically, both the rider and the driver independently have access on both rider, passenger, customer, and the driver app. So both apps have the ability to hit record to record the ride and what's going on in the ride. Here's the thing. Um, you know, passengers abuse so much that if this were being used in a way where, um, you know, it was being locked up and if ever there was an argument, they could go in and, and somehow look at this, but it was being held by a third party, um, some kind of legal thing um, where, you know, if it ever needed to be, they could crack open this stuff. But here's the thing. If I, the driver, turn it on, or if my passenger turns it on, and we record, there's I have no way to ever hear that recording from the passenger if they recorded, or even if I hit record, I can't go back into those files and play it. And here's the kicker. Uber claims they don't have access to those files either. They made this video, and I've got it up on the first audio podcast. I'll put, I'll try and put that one in the link too that has the video. But they, it's an Uber video that shows you how it's going to work. And basically, when it gets to, you know, okay, if you need to record and it's animated, and then it says, you know, you'll hit, you know, you'll hit stop here, uh, and then um, you won't be able to access this. The passenger won't. And then it says, and even we at Uber won't be able to access it. Really? Then why are we doing this? Because everything you've ever done, safety feature, upgrades, not even upgrades, changes, whatever you've done has always been to profit the company. And with the company suffering a no-profit 11-year run, of course they're looking for more ways to cut corners. So... This is somehow going to be sold as data. I am waiting for the TOS to come out. Colorado is not one of the first featured states that it's launching in. But I have asked a couple of the people in the featured states that it will be launching in to send me the TOS update as soon as it comes. Because I want to see in there that it says this data is being collected and held under the supervision of a company outside of Riser or Uber. And I want to see that it's it's not under some umbrella where they can access it either. That this isn't the same attorneys uh, that Uber uses that is running another company to hold these things. I don't know. I'm I'm very concerned, and I think that audio recording once even kind of in the TOS. I'm going to read it, but I'm I'm curious to know if in the TOS it's going to say. Um, you know, something to the effect that has a little clause that says we will be able to access it if we need to or whatever. Um, you know, if this were something that we're able to go to the police, like somebody's recording, um, and then things turned even worse and it could go to the police in real time, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Um, what I've read so far doesn't make any sense to me because you're already in the car. So if there's an issue recording it and it going to a locked safe or vault area on the cloud or something is not into the into the Uber servers or wherever its uh, destination is, isn't going to do any good to stop rape, sexual assault, violence by the time even Uber were to get the permissions to open that that file. So if the rider recorded it and got killed, I mean, how long does that take? Because now the rider's not allowed alive to okay that to be opened, and the family would have to go through lawyers. It would take months. By that time, the whole thing's passed, done, and it's out of the media. So the common theme of these stories is Uber's cutting corners. They're trying to make money. Um, but the corners they're cutting are the wrong ones. They're cutting the wrong corners, as always. They're cutting the corners that protect people, that protect the drivers. Um, you know, that you know, the the one about working at home. Okay, that one, I still want to look into that one, but that one at least makes sense to me. That's a business trying to cut its corner to make some money. That makes sense. However, these other two, you know, the sexual assault case and it's it's just PR and what gets us money, and we don't really care about anybody involved. So, um, that's it. Those are my happy stories, people. <laughs> that's my Uber breakdown of the week, y'all. So, uh, yeah, nothing real great. Hey, listen, um, on Thursday, this coming Thursday, December 9th, I am doing a live. Uh, a live stream that will be on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And then it will come to a podcast uh, the next day. But at 3 p.m. Pacific, um, 6 p.m. Eastern, this Thursday, December 9th, I will have Karen Anderson on the podcast to do my last piece of the year on AB5. Um, We're going to kind of close the books. Like I said, I've had Willie Solace on a couple times. I've had Vina Dubal on. Um, I've talked to people on that side of AB5 who want it a lot. And then I've had, you know, um, Gail Gordon. I've had uh, Kim Cavan. I've had Lisa Rothstein and and others on on the... We do not want AB5. Repeal AB5. Get rid of this junk law. Um, and I'm now going to, this Thursday, have Karen Anderson on, who is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. So make sure to tune in. If you join the live cast from any of the three platforms I just named, you will be able to comment and we will be fielding a lot of questions. So I will be watching the feed and trying to get questions to her. I will be, you know, asking her some of the ones that are being asked in the, in the comments, so get on one of, get on your favorite platform. Um, YouTube is probably uh, a preferred one when it comes to live streaming because I find that it's most in sync with real time. Um, so that you know you're so that we so that we would be seeing the questions you're posting closest to the time we're talking about that. Because with the other platforms, sometimes if there's a little delay, you know, 20, 15, 20 seconds even you know, if it gets a little behind and lagging that in your stream that you, you know, if you post something might already be moved on to another thing. However, still post it. Um, so uh, join us, 
Join us this this Friday or this Thursday, December 9th, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. You can figure out the in-betweens and uh, and yeah, join in the live chat. So that said, I am going to bring on Matt Spoke. Uh, we're going to do our uh, interview here and uh, I will come back on the other side. So today I'm talking with Matt Spoke from Moves movesfinancial.com. And uh, Matt, uh, thank you for coming on today. It's awesome to be here, Steve. Looking forward to this. Yeah, um, me too. So um, I guess let's just start off with the real basics of, you know, what's, what is moves? Yeah, sure. Um, without, without giving the full, full backstory, because we, we don't want to be here two hours talking about it, but it's a, a company I started uh, about two years ago. Uh, right before the pandemic in February of 2020, um, okay. and and effectively the premise right off the bat was we wanted to build a product that solved uh, financial problems for gig workers, and so it wasn't you know initially it was a process of like first discovering what are the financial problems that gig workers are facing on a day to day basis, what are some of the like annoying frictions that they, they go through as they they work to earn a living. Uh, and then it's sort of evolved from that, which I'll, we'll talk about, you know, what moves is today. We have a pro- an app and market that people can download on, on iPhone and, and Android. Uh, and also like what we sort of aspire to become. We're, we're building out a whole bunch of new stuff that really focuses more on like building out a community of gig workers that are uh, really capturing ownership in the gig economy. So the long-term ambition is, can we make gig workers owners in the gig economy in a way that, that really gives them back some of the economics that, are, that have been generated? Uh, but we can walk through that in more specific. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, in, I'm definitely interested in the path to that for sure. Yeah, sure, it's uh, a, a lofty <laughs> star, but we're we're making some big steps in that direction. But so, okay, when you started and and to where you are now, kind of the same as before the show when we were talking about like you know how I had an idea for this for this for rideshare rodeo podcast, it got flipped upside down into something that never even was supposed to be, and then its sense has evolved. To what it is, I love it, and it still never hit what it was. It's always to be. evolving, it's, right? It's, yeah. But it never even ever got to the what I was trying to make. It was it's so sure. it was such an odd process. So I'm just kind of interested in to you know from where you started to where you are now, and yeah, totally. What is yeah. what what your thought concept was, and and then where where you are today with what's being offered. Yeah, sure. So so I, I think I think what's what's more and more clear to me as I build out this company. Um, is that we're very, very uh, crystal clear on like sort of the aspiration. The steps we need to take to get there are steps that we have to discover along the way. Because when we're when we're talking to gig workers on a day-to-day basis, we're discovering issues that we didn't necessarily know existed, or we're discovering new pain points that we then want to solve. And so, you know, the 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 steps along the journey are definitely like things that we co-develop and talk to users about and sort of put prototypes in market and see how they reckon they they uh, they respond to it but all with a view towards like longer term ambition so I think there's probably two areas that uh, we're focused on so the big aspirational outcome that we're hoping to to change is you know I think it's a shame that the gig economy has developed in a way where tons of value has been created uh, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of value has been created by companies like Uber and Lyft and Instacart and others 
And fr- and effectively, none of that value is landed in the hands of workers that have put in their you know hours and blood, sweat, and tears into these markets. So, so first question we asked ourselves is like, what could the gig economy look like if gig workers actually owned a share of that 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 market? Uh, how do we get there? I mean, there's a whole bunch of steps that we'll we'll sort of undertake to do that. Um, so that's sort of the the long term ambition. In the short term, it was more around, hey, what are the challenges and obstacles that on a day to day or week to week basis gig workers are going through? So the first product we launched on that front was a cash advance, and the cash advance product was pretty straightforward. It was saying, hey, if a gig worker needs to uh, repair their car uh, and it's going to cost them five hundred bucks, where are they going to go get that five hundred bucks? They're they're having a hard time getting access to loans. Uh, you know, they they might have access to some family and friends that could lend it to them. Maybe there's some like you know, super high interest, predatory, like payday lender out there, but not a lot of great options if you earn your primary living as an Uber driver, an Instacart shopper. Uh, And so we started by building that. We've effectively evolved that product into a bank account for gig workers uh, that spans across multiple apps that they might earn through. So you know, we, we saw that a lot of Uber drivers were using Uber's debit card and a lot of uh, DoorDash couriers were using DoorDash's debit card. But effectively, if you earned on more than one app, often you were getting your earnings deposited into more than one bank account, which just felt like an inefficient way to manage your money. So could we consolidate all of that into like a single bank account for gig workers within which you can access this cash advance and you can see sort of a full picture of your earnings? Um, and then from there, we started working on this 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 uh, stock reward thing that we'll talk about around how do we give like stock ownership back to gig workers in these companies. But that's sort of the baseline premise today. So, I mean, just correct correct me if I'm wrong, obviously. But um, so, are you you're making the deposit into the banks? So through- we we effectively offer a bank account. We have a partner bank that we work with out of Virginia called Blue Ridge Bank, but. But from the perspective of our customers, Moves operates as a bank account. So you open an account with us, and you you're being issued a debit card. Uh, you, know, um, you know, you're being issued a Moves debit card. Uh, uh-huh. You have an app that has your expenses. You can move your direct deposits into that into that account. It's a fully insured, licensed bank account. Uh, it just happens to be that you're interacting with it through the Moves app. The first thing that we're getting users to do is they're connecting their various profiles from. Uber to Lyft, Instacart to whatever apps they might use. We support 15 of these gig apps. As a starting point, just to summarize their earnings. So if they have a single dashboard that says, did you know that last week you made $1,100 and 400 of it came from Uber and 500 of it came from Lyft and 200 came from DoorDash, for example. From there, if they want, they can open an account with us where we would then be like the account through which they 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 actually receive their direct deposits and manage their spending. So it's not like, it's not, somehow API connected through moves where it's then facilitating it to a bank, you're actually having them start a bank account. Yeah. And, and then so it switch be- and then switch within the apps the bank account that they want this money deposited into. Yeah. And, and even that we we've built sort of a way to automate that where from within your moves profile uh, users can give like effectively indicate I want to switch my direct deposits and then it automates it. So you don't have to go into your DoorDash profile and change your banking info. Effectively moves is going into your DoorDash profile and changing your banking info after you've given permission for that. It's the same way that we pull, we're effectively pulling data out of your Uber profile and your DoorDash profile to show you your earnings for the week oh. and to show you like your historic patterns. Uh, and similarly, we're, we, we, we can go in and like streamline the process of, of switching your direct deposits. So if you had 
three or four apps connected to your moves profile and you wanted to switch all the direct deposits, you could do it effectively with one click instead of having to go through every single one of them manually. Right. Well, I think that you know from our pre-talk that being with Para, I'm very familiar with a lot of this stuff you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Because yeah. you know, we we you know, I'm very familiar with Argyle and Solo, and we've yep. I've worked with a lot of people that I I didn't even know I'd ever be working with, and kind of those kind of things. But um, yeah, there's the a lot of, of really cool product innovation happening around this space, which is exciting to me because it means that over the next couple of years, it's just going to get better for gig workers in terms of the types of products that are available to them. Because there's a lot of people focusing on like, how do we improve the livelihoods of people who earn a living this way? So, so I'm all for it too, as long as it's, is, you know, my people that listen to the podcast know I'm about honesty and then, and then even though none of them do it, I'm about my, my goal is that everybody eventually my, my wholehearted goal is full transparency on everything. Yeah, for, of course. Forever. I'm sick of this. I don't, even if it doesn't pay good, be transparent, show the truth. Um, and, uh, so one of my, I mean, one of my questions obviously becomes security. Um, you know, like, and I also wonder how you're, how you're dealing with the DoorDash TOS, because we, I mean, you're now dealing with financials. You're going into the, we had a lot of problems because, you know, we weren't allowed to, I mean, but it's in their TOS that people can't share their info even with another entity yeah. to represent them to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I if, mean, I, if I just put that well enough just yeah, in, no, my, I, in my I, looks I, to you. I, For I those listening, the, I was kind of right. looking at him so that he'd know, <laughs> you know, what, what I'm asking. The, the scope of the problem you're defining. I mean, I'll, I'll say we, we haven't had a similar experience to Para from that perspective. Uh, probably primarily because the use case that we're building was not explicitly focused on like DoorDash tips the way that Pero was focused early, early mm-hmm. on. So there was a lot of attention that I think was driven from DoorDash to Para because of that specific use case. Oh, it was, uh, we I, haven't I been can, that I, granular. You don't have to even be so polite. I can tell you wholeheartedly, uh, it was it was straight up that. I, I and, and I love it because I love. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think I think so change, do I. I think change requires some like sort of controversial approach, right? Like if not, you're not going to like shift the incumbents to operate differently if you're not being a little bit cute in the way that you approach these things. So, well, we um, we had to come to the point of the conclusion of it's easy to talk. Yeah. Because yeah, we exactly. actually had to spend money on lawyers and you probably totally. are somewhat aware, you know, David. So Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I won't profess to know all the problems we might eventually run into as it relates to our relationship with these companies. I'd say we have done, uh, we have put a lot of effort into maintaining a productive and positive relationship with these companies because we think that ultimately uh, right. they are the they're the source of income for a lot of, for our users, and so we don't want to like we don't want to put that at risk by any means. I think we'd love to put more pressure on gig economy platforms to be more open and transparent. And, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, maybe this is the, my, the cynical side of me, but I, I feel like they often want to have their cake and eat it too. Like there's, you know, in, in the debate for AB5 that we were talking about earlier, Prop 22, uh, they all wanted to advocate for the fact that they were just neutral marketplaces with independent contractors, like earning a living at arm's length, but in, S- in the same S-A- SAAS platforms. Yeah, exactly. They wanted, they wanted to play that they were technology companies when they weren't. And then as soon as it was all voted on and even Prop 22 was enacted. Um, yeah, I mean, it's and then it was just like, no, we're just we're just a redshirt company. Well, and, and frankly, like, 
I, I'm, I'm all right giving them a certain benefit of the doubt, but I think the trade-off has to be that if you're going to be this neutral SaaS marketplace for, for independent contractors, then the way that you manage the data of these workers should be different. The way that how many obstacles you put in front of them when they want to switch from app to app should be reduced. You know, there are things that we experience on various apps. You know, you, you've had experiences with DoorDash. We're having some experiences with Grubhub and Instacart that are just like inefficient and they do it almost on purpose to keep users locked into their, into their ecosystems. Right. And so to me, that's not really behaving like a neutral marketplace of independent contractors. That's behaving more like an employer who doesn't want to lose their employees. And, and so I think that's a little bit of the like contention that will probably get flushed out over the next couple of years. Deceit, um, deceitful algorithms. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, I don't even think that it's maybe I'm naive, but I, I don't even think that it's like, intentionally malicious. I think it's two different parts of these companies. They're massive companies. I think there's one yeah. part of the company saying something and there's another part of the company saying something different and they haven't really connected the dots of their story yet, um, but it'll but, eventually have to get connected. But, there are, but there are instances I can tell you from my driving days. Now, and this is different from delivery and everything else where it's so... I mean, all of them are oversaturated, but where it's quite the same. Like if there's events going on here and I had worked six hours and I'm driving back home, I can't tell you that every time, if it was still busy, I'd get, if once I was a mile from home, I got a ping. They made sure of it. Don't go home yet. Don't go home. There was some very obvious, I don't even have to get into it, manipulation going on. And it yeah. wasn't forced, it, it wasn't a gun to my head, clearly. I mean, this is still my decision. Yeah. You know, like, here's my point. Why did I still have it on driving all the way home if I had decided to call yeah. it a day? I should yeah. have turned it off. So there was something just waiting to tempt me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But there's I do think that there is something going on that could even be like distance from your house. Like if he starts to get here, try and find him in order. I, I don't want to say that because I know that, you know, they have a they say exactly how their algorithms work and their proximity and all this and that and the other. Yeah. But I do think there are times when that is stepped outside of. Um, but yeah, so. Obviously, yeah. So your, your earlier question, though, on security and, and, yeah. and like the, you know whether or not we're going to run into any conflicts with these companies. So on, on security, it's pretty straightforward from our perspective. We just work with licensed, regulated, audited entities. Like the the bank that we work with is a fully chartered licensed bank. It's FDIC insured. It's right, right, uh, right. You know, so when we're issuing, I'm a, not. A, I a I have product, no questions on that part, and I think that people. I mean, if you want to keep telling them, but I'm I'm sure that part's secure. I always I just question the TOS. Yeah. You know, like yeah. DoorDash saying that like we can't do something or you can't do that for somebody. And then it's being done, but it's like then it gets into like we were doing something different. Well, and frankly, <laughs> and you know, so, there's a little like bit you of guys are just changing a bank account. So let's say even they knew, even though it's in their TOS, do they care? I don't know. Yeah. You know, because they might just be going, listen, this company is just trying to help these guys better handle well, that's their money. What, that's, so. where we've, that's where we've come out with a positive framing when we talk to them, because we've spoken to every one of these companies. Um, and we're able to say very simply, we're offering something that your workers can't get access to anywhere else. And that's a net benefit to not only your workers, but frankly, it's a net benefit to you. Because it's more likely that a worker is going to stay a gig worker for longer if somebody is solving their like basic financial needs, right? So if nobody's solving for these basic financial needs, there's more pressure for a gig worker to stop being a gig worker and look for a job somewhere else, right? So 
And that ultimately leads to more costs for DoorDash and Uber having to replace workers that are leaving the gig economy. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we think our interests are aligned. For one, we own shares in every one of these companies as a business, and we've done that intentionally. But two, we want to see gig workers extend the years that they spend in the gig economy. And Uber and Lyft and DoorDash also want to see gig workers extend the years that they spend in the gig economy. So we're all working towards the same goal. We're just using a different set of tools to get there. So I, uh, so when you're connecting um, your accounts to the, like if people like me, like I'm on like seven or eight apps right now, currently active, yeah. whether I'm using them or not, they're, they're there. Um, can, you know, if I, if I signed up, can I just connect one and kind of yeah, feel of it out before, you know yeah, what I mean? Just, and that's what a lot of people will do. A lot of people will come in and they'll, you know, the first step is, is really just us organizing and summarizing your data for you so that you can see you know, your earnings across all the apps that you use in a given week, for example. We heard this pretty, you know, simple but easy problem for us to solve was uh, I'd like to know when I've made $1,000 in a week, or I'd like to know, hey, I have a goal of working until I hit $1,500. I'd like to know how I'm tracking towards that goal. I'm using four apps to do it. So, you know, the there you can do the math manually, or you can just sort of connect all your apps and we'll just do the math for you effectively. Um, but you could also connect one app, get a feel for the app, um, you know, we support 15, as I said, a lot of our users will support, will connect two, three, four is pretty common. We've seen a few do seven or eight, but well, I, think- I meant even like once I'm comfortable, I'd connect all eight. Yeah. I don't care. Cause I actually, I can see, I can see where there might be a benefit. I do my, I, I do other gig work. I work laser production shows and things of this nature. So more traditional stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I have a different way of doing my accounting, but if I was all gigs, and this was working just app based on demand gigs. I would probably, once I saw it working, put them all into there because that's what would get you the best results. Cause I'm imagining part of what you're showing is what people also get like on Gridwise and Stride and yeah, um, yeah as a starter and even para, even yeah. para. You know? As a starting point, it's just like, how much am I earning? You know, what did my prior weeks look like? I think that very easily evolves for us into helping you understand like your annual earnings and help you prepare for your taxes and help you do all these things that really require sort of a summary view of your your work in the gig economy. Um, but you guys and- have a cool niche there is that they're the first one that I know that's at least giving this tied into a bank a try too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that-, that was sort of the, the edge that we were working towards is to say, hey, if we can help you understand your earnings... Can we also help you manage your earnings through a better account experience so you don't have to jump? And that's that's what I was going to say. A lot of people who have like Gridwise or some of these other apps, they don't optimize everything that's in there for them. They're just kind of like, I just want to see this and this. And there's like a thousand things you could do. But I imagine that with your app, people very much want to see everything because they're like, dude, this is my money. It's all my money in here. Yeah. And and the good thing about that is that we've been able to like build like positive like partnership relationships. Like we've done some some work with with Gridwise because we're not competing with them on the use case. We're saying, hey, right. we'd like to offer an account to gig workers and you're offering some sort of like insights and recommendations. Right. Why rewrite their algorithms and yeah, their so, code. You know, mean, a Gridwise user can discover moves through Gridwise and then all of a sudden it becomes a, they become a moves user as well, right? So uh, I think there's lots of opportunities for us to work with other companies that are going after the same user base. So yeah, um, that's awesome. So where are you based out of anyway? I'm based in Toronto. I'm in I'm in Canada, but the, okay. the the uh the the product that we've built is exclusively available in the US. We had we had like dabbled with the idea of launching a product in Canada as well as the US, but we ended up only focusing on the US. So 
but the team is pretty distributed. We're pretty spread out at this point, but we're about 35 people working on this full time. I won't get political. Was it was it just because Canada and its politics and the way that they're handling the gig economy right now is partially i mean partially there exists a more uh default safety net in canada for and not just for gig workers but for any like a publicly funded health insurance would be a good example of that right. where you know there the, during the pandemic there was a relatively uh regular monthly check going out to anybody and and gig workers were eligible for this check so you can get two thousand dollars a month from the government mm-hmm. uh, throughout the majority of the pandemic and that was like pretty well established um, yeah, Canada is, is a little bit more, um, there's more government funded safety net systems, right? Yeah. I'm, um, I'm real familiar with, with Canada and, and I, I actually love Canada too, but, um, uh, but I gotta say that, uh, I'm just, I was curious because I know that I see a lot of the regulations that like AB five type things. And, and even if it's not ex- specifically that there are other ones just moving everywhere, Vancouver, Toronto, like they're really yeah. trying to push it hard and quick. And because of the way that the government is a little bit different, and I'm not saying worse up there or whatever different, um, I could see those things going through quicker and making. I, some- I think that's probably right. I think there there's often like they overlook some of the potential negative side, like consequences of passing laws too quickly that have been fully considered. I think AB five is a good example of that. I mean, the, the speed at which AB five turned into a ballot issue with Prop twenty two was just an ex- like a, a prime illustration of just having gone quickly uh, and not having fully considered all the side like the edge crazy quickly, can, yeah. Um, and, and then a lot of it had to be overturned with prop 22 and now prop 22 is being debated in court. Mm -hmm. And like, it just all to me just shows that it was more political opportunism than it was thoughtful legislation, you know? So, um, hopefully jurisdictions at the state level and wherever, you know, depending on different countries, it'll be differently governed, but they take their time trying to get this right. You know, there's new laws now being debated in Massachusetts and New York city just passing new laws. And I'm sure. Oh man, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to send you only one podcast of mine when we're done with this, which is the one I just did with Kim Cavan and uh, Lisa Rothstein and all the no AB fivers, no pro act, no Massachusetts H one, two, three, four, no (laughs) New York bill. um, Kim is the one who defeated the copycat legislation of AB five in New Jersey. Um, It's amazing. And there's a lot of info in there, but I'll send it to you. But, um, so, um, so right now people are tying in their accounts. They're learning things probably about themselves. They're learning where their earnings are coming from, you know, like, and they probably see breakdowns of, I don't know if they've seen, see hours and things like that on the banking side or it, it's coming. I mean, right now we show you a summary of your earnings, but like hours and rides completed and, right. and other sort of data, but you, you can at least profile. see like, if, like you were saying, like when you want to see where you've hit a thousand, you can at least see where the income's generated from yeah, absolutely. which of your yeah. apps. That you and it will also in. show you like when your expected paid it, payouts are coming from which app on which day and how much is coming. So you'll know, on Thursday, I'm expecting a deposit of so much money from this app. On mm-hmm. Friday, I'm expecting another deposit. So we'll, we'll, we'll give you a, a view into like your upcoming deposits and how much you should be expecting in cash uh, so that you know, like, you know, how much you've earned, how much you've already been paid out in your day, daily payouts. Or, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to, to lose track of uh, how much you've been paid and how much you have yet coming towards you based on the hours that you've worked in the week. So we just try to make that easier for people to understand their cash. Yeah. Um, so knock wood that this doesn't happen, but, um, let's say that a driver got in an accident today. Sure. <laughs> Same thing we were talking about. 
They need $500 quick. Yeah. They're not signed up for moves yet. They call you and they're like, Matt, heard you on Rideshare Rodeo. I need one of those $500 things. <laughs> How does yeah, that I mean, work? It, it, it's, um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a tricky question. So historically, that, that driver would have been eligible. Um, and the first version of the cash advance that we put out in uh, March was effectively, if you could prove to us that you had historically earned consistent income as a gig worker, then we would approve you for an advance. Well, what we found along the way, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, is until we actually had you onboarded into our account, the ability to like actually build an automated repayment system where we were pulling money from a third-party account. Let's say you banked that you had the Uber debit card or you banked at Chase or whatever. Mm -hmm. We had to pull little bits of payment from multiple accounts where we didn't have direct control over the account itself. And so often what would happen is that we were creating NSF charges in the user's account because we would try to pull a payment on a Wednesday, let's say. Um, and what happens when you're using these payment rails, the, the payment rail we used was called ACH, is the payment would take 24 to 48 hours to process. And so we would pull a payment on Wednesday knowing you have cash in your account on Wednesday, but it wouldn't actually pull out of your account until Thursday or Friday. And you may not have cash in your account on, a thurs on the Thursday or Friday. And so you'd get hit with an NSF charge from your bank because we had tried mm. to process a payment without sufficient balance. And so there was a lot of these little inefficiencies that existed. So until we had people on our own account infrastructure where everything can be done in real time, like we can fund your account within a second and we can pull a payment in real time when you're on that schedule for repayments. And so those risks don't exist and we will never charge an NSF fee to a user using our account. So we took away that, that concern of like, oh, I'm going to get hit with a $35 NSF charge uh, or an overdraft charge or whatever the case might be. Uh, and so we we stopped doing that in October. We effectively said, hey, you need to be an account holder. Once you've been using our account, if you were to get hip, you know, get into an accident, well, now your historic income, you've been pre-approved for an advance. That's the exact use case we're trying to cover. We're trying to cover what we've been calling like these unexpected expenses, like your bicycle got stolen and you use it to deliver food or your No, I, I love that part. I love that um, part. I think it's great. And you're effectively pre-approved. It's almost like having access to a line of credit where you know the amount is there and it's just when do you need it, you pull it and then we'll pull it back from your account as you start earning again. I guess then my point becomes knockwood again. Hopefully nobody gets in an accident today. And if you're hearing about this, sign up for moves now so that if you do get into an accident, <laughs> yeah, they you know, can we, help we used you to out. Call it like, is like that right? I mean, you kind of... Right? You kind of have to onboard first. Yeah, and, and and you know that that's one of the benefits of being a Moves member is this. You know, we we even used to market it this way. We used to say, "Hey, we're trying to provide you peace of mind. If something bad happens, you can have the peace of mind that there is a amount of money available to you that you don't have to jump through any hoops to get. It's just automatically there, one click. It's in your account. But to get to that peace of mind, we need to get to know you. We need to know, we need to have a, sort of a good understanding of your historic earnings. And we need to know that you're like actually working as a gig worker because that's the demographic that we're working to, to sort of serve. Um, but beyond that, we also want to make sure that we're providing other values in the account by making it easier for you to not to have to like move money between multiple bank accounts. We're working on a perks program right now that'll drive like cashback rewards on things like gas purchases and things of that nature to make the account just a better experience for you in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and then more recently working on this stock program where we're starting to give stock to gig workers is another sort of a sweetener to the deal to make it interesting for them to, to start participating. Awesome. So, um, so if people here and they do sign up, it's not one of those things where, you know, you can be in an accident 
and be calling people and saying, Hey man, I can't find the money. And somebody has a moves card that you know in the gig world. And they're like, well, dude, just go call a moves card. You're not going to be able to get it in that process. So just get the process yeah. going is what you're saying and see how you like it. You know, obviously it would be, you know, a great thing to have. Is there, is there a, um, a limit? Well, the other thing that's worth noting on that is the way that we provide the advance to you. So let's go to that, that unfortunate situation again, where we have a moves mm-hmm. member. So presuming that they've already onboarded, they've already created their account with us, which takes yeah. how long? Just curious. Uh, like to, to like if I, if I, if I fill it out after we're done with this conversation, uh, yeah, not, not more than a few minutes. I mean, it's an app to download and it, you know, it depends on how many apps you're connecting because you're going to be connecting your Uber app and your Lyft app. And whatever. Right. I meant for you to activate me. Oh, usually it's automatic within your first session. Okay. I mean, okay. In 90 to 95% of cases, it's automatic. You, you click, I want a bank account. The bank account's approved. In about five to 10% of cases, we have to follow up and request and it's not, this is not driven by us. It's driven by a banking partner. They'll say, oh, can you follow up and ask for a picture of a driver's license? Or can you follow up and ask for some additional, you okay. know, they need something to, to prove your address or something like that, right? So but that's usually about five to 10% of cases. And we'll try to get that resolved within a day. But in 90 to 95% of cases, you're, you're approved automatically within the app. So um, when you're applying for the account, we're going to ask you for your address, your phone number, and your social security number. Um, and if you don't have a social security number, we also accept another form, uh, a passport number. But um, so anyways, the, that process usually spits out an automatic, you have an account. From there, you can decide, do I want to switch all of my direct deposits? Do I want to switch only one of my apps into moves? You know, you can decide where, how you want to manage that. It's all very like custom to you in the in your profile. Um, but what I was going to say is that the nature of that advanced product, the fact that it's not, it's not a loan. So that means we are not checking your credit score. We're not reporting to the credit bureau. If you miss a payment, there are no penalties. There are no late fees. There's no interest rates. We're charging you a flat service fee. And so the flat service fee that we charge is three and a half percent. So if you wanted a hundred dollars, you'd be paying us back $103 and 50 cents, no matter what, if it takes you twice as long to repay us, it'll still be $103 and 50 cents. If you need to stop making payments for five weeks because you're you're you know you're you're injured or sick, we'll just waive the payments for five weeks and get you back on schedule. Like we make it extremely flexible to make sure that it's sort of like adjusted to the realities of of just day to day life as a gig worker. And you see that as a scalable growth thing too. That yeah, even as you even as you grow, you'll still side, be able to help yeah, people I, on that level. Yeah, absolutely. Because on the flip side, there's, I mean, there's various profiles of people. On the flip side, we've got users who will borrow hundred bucks just to speed up their cash flow for the week, and they'll pay us back next week, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, and so, the option is always there to pay us as quickly as you want, but sure. the option is also there to say, well, I need a couple of extra weeks because I am sick, or uh, my car's still in the garage, and I just can't earn this week, or whatever the case might be. So we'll just easily waive those payments for the week, uh, and so we provide flexibility to make sure, and and generally the users that are paying us back quickly are effectively making up for the users that are having delays in their payment schedule. And it it all, it all works out pretty well. So here's a question Um, for somebody like me who works a lot of gig platforms when I'm here in Denver. um, And then I work for the second largest laser company in the world who, when they use me, they um, whether it's graphics here or doing, you know, we have all the Carnival Cruise Lines and all these Disney resorts and some some of the biggest clients in the world. If I put in my direct deposit for that company, does is that okay too? If it's outside of the gig realm, 
I mean, you can you does can it get, use our does it get measured into all the not, things? It you're... won't get measured in for the cash advance, but the oh the no no not works. for the event advance. Just helping me understand. I do understand, but I'm saying for people that might be in a similar instance, because there are a lot who yeah. have a diff, a different gig job. Yeah, it yeah, isn't yeah. an app based. You know what? That's actually that's a good it's a good piece of feedback. It's a good feature recommendation. I because think- like with me and the laser company, I could tell you this: you'd never have a second client like me. So I know that like you have 15 that you, you work know with that you can instantly connect. You can have a bucket that says other income. You know, right? That's what that's what I was going to say. Left, could I do it so that income. so that I'm saying, hey, I have a very you're not going to have any more of these people, but he, what do you need from me? Yeah, no, that that's actually a really good piece of feedback. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one back to the team. I think that's you know because because functionally from the accounts perspective, you could put whatever income you want into our account. You can use it as a, a standard bank account for wh- whatever source. You can de- deposit checks. You can you know mm-hmm. deposit cash, whatever you want. Um, I do think it would be interesting to sort of. But that's how that. that's how they pay me, and that's how you know yeah. that's how even other um, you know like I do a little com- computer and other consulting too. And some of those can pay me that way. Like, so really, yeah. if I could get all of it, even though those aren't aren't on demand app based gig platforms, there's still the way that I gig my life. Yeah, I know it's a good it's a good point. Yeah, no, and, I'll take that feedback back to the team. I appreciate that. I mean, this yeah. is part of the fun of being, yeah, like I sure. said earlier, right? Part of the fun of like discovering problems and requirements as we talk to users. And it lays out our roadmap for us. So all of a sudden, you just gave me an idea that probably gets added to the roadmap in the next couple of months to work on. So You're right, because I mean that uh, would attract yeah. me more. Because I'm like, you know, especially like, you know, if I'm, you know, in between things or trying to learn. If I'm at that point in my life, I mean, I might not look at. <laughs> maybe I do, <laughs> but I'm 49, so I've been doing this for a while. But um, you look 39, Steve. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, but. Uh, you know, so maybe like if you're in your early 30s and you're just kind of trying to really get a hold of this kind of stuff or late 20s and you're like, okay, I'm past all the other stages and I've got all these incomes. I think that you'd find a lot of gig workers have other gigs, not just a, not just a W-2 on the side maybe and do yeah. 20 hours, but you'd find that a lot of gig workers who work 20, 25 hours, the other time they're doing is coming just from other gigs too. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah. I'll definitely so, surface that with the team. That's super helpful. Um, but so can we talk about, uh, I mean, I'm very interested in the, in the path to ownership or, sure. um, and this how, is, and how that'll that be makes... done and how that'll be done because these companies are so viable in their worth. I mean, is it going to be like more like a mutual type? Yeah. You're invested in all of the gigs and that way it kind of keeps it balanced. Well, this is the, the the way I've been like describing our business when I'm when I'm describing like what it is that we're trying to build. I often use the term uh, credit union as like an example, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know some some something analogous to a mutual. Uh, I, I like the analogy of a cooperative where we're pulling together people that are going to share ownership in something that matters to their livelihoods. And so, in 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 our context, that cooperative is pulling gig workers together and effectively enabling them to not only individually acquire ownership in a, a gig company, but also collectively grow the, the leverage that workers have as a group over these companies over time. So um, it, you know, this is where you'll have to like take a little bit of a leap of faith with me, but the math starts to add up really interestingly when we can start by giving one gig worker a hundred bucks of stock in Uber. Okay. That's 
not that interesting. I mean, it's interesting to the guy who just got a hundred bucks, but if I can do that across a million gig workers, and if I can give you not only a hundred bucks, but I can, I can work you up to a thousand bucks over time as you consume our product, then all of a sudden I've got a very significant user base of gig workers, all accumulating ownership in stock. I'm using Uber as an example. We can right. So, so okay. I'm I'm just trying to decipher this for the listeners a little bit. So basically, now I, I guess I'm understanding it a little better. So it would almost be you guys buying the stock for them in their name, yeah. based so against other do, usage for using moves. What we do in the product today, and and this is an invite only feature because we're still testing out the the like infrastructure behind it. But effectively, mm-hmm. we've got a couple of hundred users doing this right now. Um, in, in this alpha pro- program that we just launched. Uh, we open a brokerage account in your name. It is available to you through the Moves app. So the same way you would get, you would see your bank account in the Moves app, mm-hmm. you would see your brokerage account in the Moves app. Your brokerage account is pretty simply a way for you to earn a reward that we pay for, denominated in stock that we're putting into your account. So when we fund you, let's say $50 of Uber stock, that legally belongs to you. If you decided to shut down your right, right, right. tomorrow, it's your $50 of Uber stock held in a brokerage account under your name. Uh, we're going to run those rewards based on different activities and behaviors. So the first one that we started with was like, we're trying to activate and onboard new users. Say, hey, if you onboard with us and you move your direct deposits and you start using moves as your bank account, we're going to give you $50 of stock. We're going to try to make that stock as closely reflective as like where you're earning your primary income. Right now, we're testing that with Uber stock. We're about to roll out Lyft stock, Grubhub stock, and DoorDash stock as well. So that if you're, if those are, and then eventually it'll be that you can earn a basket of stock. So if you're 50 50 Uber or Lyft, then you could earn 50% of your reward in Uber stock, 50% of your, in your reward in Lyft stock. And so we're going to continue finding ways. We'll probably roll out versions of that. We call them tasks where we put a task in the app. And if you accomplish the task, there's a, there's a reward associated with that task. Uh, the first task is like onboard, create an account, move your direct mm. deposits. Another task could be refer a friend, earn 10 bucks a stock, and your friend will earn 10 bucks a stock, you know, as okay. part of their onboarding experience. So, right. Like uh, I just had that happen to me the other day on Robinhood or something. Yeah. I referred a friend and I forgot I had even done it. And then I had this like, they gave, I don't, I think they gave me stock. They didn't give me any money. And it yeah. wasn't a stock I get. They're just like, you get $10 of this. I'm like, all right. It was like one yeah. and a half shares. I'm like, <laughs> Well, and, and so the, the difference, <laughs> legally speaking, what we're creating for a user is analogous to Robinhood in the sense that we're creating a brokerage account. Mm-hmm. Functionally, we're not creating an experience where you can go buy and trade stock. Sure, right, I get there, that. The only two things you can do with this stock is you can earn it by completing these tasks. So it'll never be your money. It'll always be us giving you dollars of stock. Generally, if you do something like refer a friend, that's worth something to us as a business because we don't have to then go and spend dollars on marketing to acquire that user. And so you just gave us a new user. We're willing to give you the money that we otherwise would have spent on marketing to get that new user, right? So it like directly ties into our business model. Uh, And so we'll give you stock dollar value and then you have the ability to earn it. And if you want, you can sell it. You can't buy more through your account and you can't trade for stock that we don't support. We only support stock in gig economy companies. We are debating right now. It looks like we're probably going to add support, not only for Grubhub, DoorDash, and and, uh, and uh, Lyft, as well as Uber, but we're also looking to add support for Amazon, for Flex couriers, and Target for shipped couriers. So uh, we're trying to find ways to make it as closely linked to like the apps that you're working on as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. So 
there is there any correlation as to or even if it's not now down the road where it's like if you're driving uber you're going to get uber shares yeah that that would be the, i mean the does it have to, to be that way even once you're working with all yeah. of them what if you're like i only work for uber but I hate the way that their portfolio performs and can it's, I have it in Grubhub? It's a good question. I mean, we, we may start to provide... And again, I'm talking way down the road when you, you're, yeah, you've yeah. got no, a locked relationship with all, there, all these... There's two scenarios that I could foresee. And, I, and I'll say this with the caveat that uh, regulation around stock and securities law is complicated. So I, you know, don't take, don't take me as a lawyer here. But no. there's two <laughs> scenarios I could foresee. I could foresee a scenario where we let you choose the stock mm-hmm. you want. Do you want Uber stock or Lyft stock or DoorDash stock or a combination of them? Because we're doing fractional stock, we can give you like 10 cents of a stock. We don't have to give you a full stock worth of that. Right. That's why so, in the beginning I asked you about the like what you referred to as the basket, which I've heard before too. But yeah. um, you know, and, like and could could it just be a pool of the stocks? That's the other way that we could do it. We could organize this more as a basket and say, hey, everybody's getting exposure to this basket. I mean, mm-hmm. in, the, in the stock markets, you know, people that are familiar with the stock markets would be familiar with things like ETFs, like which are effectively indexes. So they're like a stock that represents a basket of stocks, right? So uh, we could say, hey, we own a basket of stocks that are Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Grubhub in some proportion. And what we're giving you is ownership in that basket. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of steps that we would have to take to do that. But that ultimately would be a really interesting way to do it. Uh, To say, hey, we're all growing our portfolio as the gig economy grows, whether or not Uber wins or loses or Lyft wins or loses, it's just like, what's the overall value um, that's being created? So like if somebody worked in current scenario, let's say like me, I've, and let's say you had been around since 2014. Okay, let's just imagine this for a minute. If, if, if in 2014, I signed up with you with my Uber account or my Lyft account and, and my Uber account or just my Lyft account, let's say. And then just today, um, there was big scandal. There was no sellout. It's going to be sold for pennies on the dollar. Lyft goes out of business. Yeah. What happens to me? I lose all my. I, lo- I lose all my Lyft shares. Yeah, I mean the shares are are your shares, and there's market risk. I mean, I know again that's an extreme scenario because yeah. companies merge, they become worth something, but not as much maybe. Yeah. But. I mean, I think I think uh, the the opposite version of that story is what I find interesting is saying, well, what if in 2014 you earned Uber stock? What would it be worth today? Um, and <laughs> uh, you know, so so we're that that to me and and Uber played around with this concept years ago around the idea of. I guess of stock I guess market. my question was a mute point because you couldn't own that stock. The yeah, because it was privately <laughs> held at that time, right? So you know, we are limited by the fact that they have to be publicly traded stock, right? Um, you know, so when if Instacart decides to go public, we may we may add support for Instacart stock for that community of of of, of gig workers, right? But we do have the the, the stock has to be available on a public market because we're buying it from the public market and putting it into your brokerage account effectively. But even like if they chose, that still becomes a security issue. If it's, hey, I only work Uber, but I'd really like to have my money in DoorDash. There's there's some nuance that uh, there there's two sort of like licensing requirements in the in in the security space. So there's one that's called a broker dealer, which which is the ability to open brokerage accounts and and execute trades for for users. The other one is called a registered investment advisor. A registered investment advisor is where you have to be careful as to not being not making implicit or explicit recommendations on where you should be putting your money as an investment. Uh, if you're recommending a stock 
uh, then you have to be licensed to do that. And you have to be making it very clear to the user. And recommendations are not always explicit. There are The rules are gray enough that like there are implicit ways that you could be like seen to be recommending. I think things like pick your own stock tend to be okay, but there are ways that you might surface that where it sounds like you're trying to nudge somebody towards Lyft stock instead of Uber stock. Then all of a sudden it feels like you're implicitly recommending something. And then you fall into this like whole licensing question, like, are you regulated to do that? That's where you start getting into trouble if you're not careful. So this is almost like the some of the comp- some of the startups that are happening with portable benefits, but yeah. it's portable stock. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I think and like, so. If if like if me, if uh, I, I know a lot of times people just you know they move on from an Uber or something. Let's say they just work one again and they move on to a W two job and they're like, yeah, I'm done with Uber. And they've done it for three years on your platform. They've got that earnings. Do they have to close that out with you? They don't, not necessarily. Or they can they leave that their, Uber no. stock ownership under your? Yeah, totally. And where their account is. with us okay. stays stays available to them. Even if you're deactivating your account. Yeah, but there's two different there's two different pieces there. I mean, you could stop sending us direct deposits, and the account is still there. I mean, right. But I, I know some people who right? get to the. I know a lot of veteran drivers who get to the point of I've had enough. I'm. I'm not just temporarily turning off and they call them and say, deactivate my account, delete my data. No. Yeah. You mean at Uber? Yeah. Or anywhere, any of the gigs. No, I mean, and so, so there's three things in our account today. There's pulling data from your Uber profile. Let's say you stop having an Uber profile. Okay. There's no more data to pull. No problem. You have a bank account with us. You could keep that bank account open. You could close that bank account. Also, no problem. You choose. It doesn't have to be linked to whether or not you're still working for Mm -hmm. Uber. If you're not working for Uber and you want to keep your bank account open, you can keep it open. Then you have a brokerage account. You could shut down your bank account, shut down your Uber profile, and still maintain your brokerage account. So like none of these things, there's no, there's no scenario where we would like deactivate you and kick you out of the app. Right. And because and because you're D and even if you are going to that length, and and again, it's not. I think a lot of my listeners know this too. It's not that uncommon. It used to be. People used to just say, I've had it. And they would just delete the app, not ever call Uber and say, I'm done. I'll yeah. never do it again. Take me off. But they used to just delete the app and they'd bring it back if they came back. But nowadays, it is more, way more than I even thought as I keep getting around and talking to people. And they still work other gigs, but some gigs they just don't trust. And because of security reasons, they've like, I call them, I shut it down. I've followed your advice. If you go through that to ask them that all my data be removed, yeah, you know, cause we've even got like a little scripted thing up on Uber Lyft drivers that tells you exactly what to say. If you're going to you call, call those them. companies that, yeah, where they have, where I was, I was given this by Argyle. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Was, they, they said, have them read this. That's smart. Yeah, but from from our perspective, it doesn't change your access to your right because you've got you took the stock. I mean, not you, but Moves got the stock for them for doing other things. Yeah, in that, so that doesn't matter. That like it's it's like me if I never worked for Uber, I could still own stock in Uber. Of course, yeah. So they're still going to have that. You could have a brokerage account that owns stock in Uber, irrespective of whether you've ever driven through Uber. Because. The follow-up to this was, you know, what happens if you get deactivated? So that you already answered it now. Yeah. I mean, I, that- you know, I think I think problems like deactivation are worth addressing, but they're they're different, right? These are problems that are Uber problems that drivers and Uber have to, you know, interact over. And maybe No, I meant like somebody who's like now that's why I was bringing it around, like who's for three years driven, does, you know, five eight thousand rides a year uh for three years and out of nowhere, which happens a lot deactivated and they've been 
earning Uber shares with you. No impact on their right again. I think so yeah, their bank account is still completely accessible to them, and the brokerage account is still completely accessible to them. Right, there, and then we no refer them to Bryant at Legal Rideshare. He gets them yeah. reactivated, and everything's good. Totally. Well, better yet, I mean, I think <laughs> I think this is where I'm sort of going with this concept. I mean, we call we call this stock program the Moves Collective, and the reason we call it the Moves Collective is we're, we're kind of we're trying to show that if we grow the number of users that own stock we can actually start to have more influence on the way these companies make decisions because we're not just a group of gig workers, we're a group of shareholders and we're a group of shareholders that's growing in economic value. And so if we can show this like trend line where gig workers individually are accumulating more stock and more and more gig workers are are joining the group, then things like deactivation actually become topics that we can address directly at the source. I mean, uh, not to give away the, 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 the specifics, but we're going through a process right now with Uber to submit you know, materials, to make re- recommendations to their board of directors. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we are shareholders of Uber. And so to be a shareholder associ- gives you rights. And if you're mm-hmm. a larger shareholder, you have larger rights, right? So if we're a group of shareholders, we should be able to grow the rights we have to demand things of these companies. And so you, know, you mentioned labor unions earlier on when we were talking about AB5. I don't love the analogy to labor unions, but there's an aspect of what we're trying to do which is if we can deeply understand what are the problems associated with being a gig worker, then why shouldn't we advocate for changes to those problems? And if we have changes, a large, but not yeah. unions. No. And so, <laughs> but changes through like, through a mechanism that says, let's give ownership to gig workers. And then let's collectively pool that ownership to say, we have a voice that we can use to vote on things. We can use to try to influence these companies in our direction. Because yep. now we're, you know, we're a group of gig workers that owns, one percent of Uber's market cap. I don't think that that's an unfeasible number in like a very short time frame, and that's billions of dollars of value that we can start to pull together for gig workers to get access to. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's it kind of reminds me of some stories I've been doing on the UK, where they actually created. You know, they didn't do the full unions, even though it's kind of turning into that now. Um, but I've had a couple people that I know that drive and work the gig economy over there on, and, uh, they actually created, you know, employee gig worker or employee independent contractor and then worker class. Yeah. The, 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 the third class. Yeah. Yeah. I saw and that, that yeah. and that I kind of knew when that happened, that's going to turn into unions. Yeah. Like, even though it's supposed to be. You know, employ, especially in the UK, for people that don't know, it's like almost every employee is in a union. It's 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 not like here where employee means maybe union, right? It's everybody's in the unions. Um, But it's it's crazy because I thought that was going to that middle class was going to be kind of the new revolutionized, you know, old independent contractor type self-employed model, you know, and I thought, okay, they're just going to they're going to finally deal with this, call it something and and still keep it independent contractor. But I think we're seeing it play out there where it's going the other way, which is yeah. what a lot of us expect. Well, and that's what I think Uber has talked about in the context of Prop 22. They were calling it IC plus, right? The independent contractor mm-hmm. plus, which was like, you know, we want to maintain the flexibility and the independence, but we also want to provide certain protections and benefits and things of that nature. But without attaching the term employment to the the relationship. Um, And I, you know, I think that the solution does exist somewhere in the middle. I just worry that the political answer always leans towards unions, which are the wrong answer. I don't think labor unions are 
a productive tool in the context of the gig economy, let alone, you know, your views on how they apply in other parts of the labor market. Um, but it's just probably the unfortunate reality. Unions have a lot of political influence depending on the state or jurisdiction that you're oh, in. For sure. Um, they do. And so we just need to provide an alternative. And I think an alternative is get gig workers to come together more organically through something like stock ownership. Uh, and they can start demanding things themselves. They don't need a, a group of people like a union to sort of like stand on their behalf. So um, that's where we think that there's a there's an opportunity for us. And then long-term, what I love about it is that a gig worker who owns stock in these companies starts to feel a sense of like deeper economic alignment. If these companies succeed, I succeed. If I work longer, I earn more, you know, um, over the course of a few years, that can become a meaningful amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where in the process you are to, to that point, but um, you well, definitely- the stock, the stock you, earning piece is, is live. It's real. Um, it, it's just limited in terms of like how, how broadly available we've made it. It'll be public in, in the beginning of 2022. So right now- a So user you're keeping app, it more to like the beta group just so you can- And you can request at, to be part of the beta. So if you're a Moose right. member today, like there's a screen in the app called The Collective and you can say, I want to request early access. And we're pulling our invite lists off of people who have requested early access. So when we're inviting the next batch of users, it's from that list of people who have requested- so there is a way to get in earlier just by being a member and requesting, um, sure. it, but it'll be, it'll be like a publicly available feature sometime early in the new year. Awesome. But I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sh- shocked you're that far already. To yeah, be it's honest. Been, uh, I mean, we're, 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 we're a big team We're we're, we are, we're, uh, we're, we're working night and day to solve these things. So, um, yeah, but and- this is, but this is, I, I love it because I, I'm, you know, my role at, Para is driver advocate. So I'm on the phone all the time. I'm emailing. I'm dealing with people either yelling me or loving me. Um. Yeah. Well, we've got, we've got a fair, our fair share of that. I mean, we've got something we call our member support team, which interacts with our, our members who are all gig workers. So, um, you know, and I'll, you know, to your earlier point on transparency, just to give you a sense of how this works, we're funding these purchases of stock by revenue that we're earning. And the revenue that we're earning is associated to what's called interchange revenue. So when you're using our account, it doesn't cost anything for you to use our account as a gig worker. But when you swipe that debit card at uh, Walmart, Walmart is paying a processing fee for that debit card. We're mm. earning a fee there off of the merchant, right? So oh, every time okay. you swipe your debit card, whether it's a Chevron gas station or a Walmart or Chipotle or whatever, uh, we're earning a fee off of that swipe. It, the user will never see that fee. It's it's free to the user. No, I I, I get yeah. I get Merchants it, are paying doing. a fee That's... to process that card. We're earning a part of the card processing fee. So when we earn that fee, and it tends to be somewhere just between one and a half and two percent of every transaction that goes through a card is revenue to us. We take that revenue and we turn it around. And we buy stock, and then we give that stock back to our users. So, you know, this is what I loved about the credit union narrative. The credit union sort of like analogy historically had been that when credit unions generate margins. They return those margins to their members through lower fees or dividends or some sort of a benefit or advantage that you wouldn't get as a, as a customer at a bank. So we're trying to find ways to do something similar where when we have a margin generated in the business, we can return it to you in a creative way. And stock is just something that we think aligns really well to sort of the mission of the company. And even though you're safely handling people's data, you are not in any way using data for other things. And in fact, no, you, I think no, you just answered no, that. There's I, no I, I, I just want the that. I just want the listeners to hear because they know I'm pretty I'll be I, yeah. I don't ever I'm I'm not somebody who's like 
does these interviews and is out to ever get anybody. But if they tell me that they're earning money off people's data, I'll go. No, there's absolutely no data. (laughs) There's no data monetization in our business model. So the only thing we do with the data that we consume is we show it to you in the app. Or right. We use no, it to make I, yeah, there's a, on things like cash advances. There's a level um, that you have to have it, but I just meant monetization or yeah. specifically selling. You know, one day somebody and watch, they're going to steal my idea right here. Hopefully it's, <laughs> hopefully it's you, man, since I'm giving it to you right here free is that somebody needs to create an app that shows exactly you can, you can put your info in same type thing. You log in your accounts and it shows where they're selling your data to. Yeah. Yeah, so like I, you could, I think, like I you think plug in Uber and it says Uber, Uber gave your data in the time period you selected in your filter. Uber gave your data out this many times to these companies. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to, to, to move in that direction over the course of the next few years. It's definitely a topic that, that oh, I think a lot of companies. It are is definitely a topic and with, the pro to act, with the pro act on the table. And I know, you know, I talk to people all the time and you seem to be, cause you knew about the other States too. You seem to be, kind of more on my level of understanding because I, you know, I just, I try and explain it to as many as I can, but we're a lot, it's, it's sad because we're a lot closer than people know or would expect to some really horrible, horrible legislation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the pro, oh, act, we have, the, pro we have users. The, the pro act is, is so close. I mean, it's so close to be, to, it could be passed. It's scary and nobody knows it. And then you talk about AB5 and it's already happened and pe- some people aren't even aware of that. Yeah. Oh, and the and the direct impact it might have on the way you earn a living and the, the you know how much you depend 59 on million that's that's 30 that's 30% of the American workforce. Yeah. No, it's 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 pretty aggressive. And so and we've got, you know, we we have no choice but to sort of pay attention broadly because we've got users in every single state in the country. So we've got and so if there's something happening in North Dakota, I've got to be, I've got to be familiar with it because I've got, you know, a handful of users in North Dakota. I, I won't promise that it's our, our biggest user base, but um, so, and, and various states are sort of approaching it differently. And, and hopefully that leads to uh, some lessons learned from the mistakes of AB5 and the mistakes of what's happened in, in New Jersey. And, and there's lessons being learned in Massachusetts right now that are going to lead to bad outcomes. And so, you know, I hope that the, the states that are waiting to see are going to learn from the mistakes of other states, but I, I think they I'm are. Naive, they right? already. They already are. And we had a. We've had a few discussions, but this last one was very informative. For, all, people are turned on to this now. The right people. It's just the workers that don't get it. Well, and like you know, and not don't get state, it. They just don't. They don't even know it's a real thing. No, they're not paying attention to the, to the specifics. And I, I think that's why services like what you're doing with Uber, UberLiftDrivers.com is so important is just to like f- have a place where you can actually understand the latest of what the discussions are about. You know, what are the latest legislations that are being proposed? Uh, you know, in, in New York State, there is a surcharge applied to every food delivery that happens on an app. And that surcharge is intended to fund benefits for delivery drivers. Uh, but most... Hey, sorry, I cut out there, Steve. That's all right. Um, I, I was just saying in, in New York State, there's this surcharge on, on food delivery that exists at the state level. So if you order something on DoorDash, you're paying the con- the consumer's paying a surcharge. Right. The surcharge is intended to fund benefits for the food courier. Uh, most food couriers in New York don't even know that it exists. There is an available program for them to get access to some amount of free benefits paid for by this surcharge. And the average food courier has never even heard of it before. So it's just like, 
How do we surface these things? Like, you know, debate the merits of that tax all you want. It exists and people aren't taking advantage of what it's supposed to represent, which is a benefit to couriers, right? Um, so we hope that we can sort of play our role and plug in I think the things. I think the New York TNC needs a complete overhaul. I mean, right yeah. now with the shortage of drivers and that they're about to take, they're looking at taking on the medallion cabs for a year. I mean, come on, we know what, exactly what they're going to do. They're going to learn the cab logistics and they're going to offer them pennies on the dollar when it's over. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's just crazy. And I don't know, New York, New York is the worst example. I, I know a few drivers there and, and people who work gig and it's just awful. I mean, they just are trying all kinds of things and even things like you mentioned that are already in place that they're never going to tell you about, but even well, the regulating yeah. companies behind it that, you know, New York's one of the, a lot of the gig economy isn't regulated in any way, but in New York, it kind of is. And it seems like that's the one place that should be telling you this stuff. And we've, so we're learning that the one place that is kind of regulated in the country isn't telling you what you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you pretty cynical about the the purpose behind a lot of these legislations, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to see what you guys do. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up. I don't know. I'm maybe I'll just connect my worthless Instacart account. And see what it does. Well, we're having a different issue with Instacart that, okay. that uh, <laughs> Me too. We'll, we'll, we'll probably end up having to get our Instacart users to help us with this one. Because I think I've learned that with some of these companies, the only way to get their attention is to like bombard them with hundreds of, of like request emails or service tickets or uh, oh, I, I can, I can be that. I can be that guy for you. If, just tell me what I need to do. Well, Instacart has a very specific problem that we're trying to address when you, you're familiar with Argyle. So we use Argyle to do the, the, the sort of data aggregation mm-hmm. from these apps. Every time we pull data from an Instacart profile, it automatically logs the user out of their Instacart app uh, every single time. And so when we do that on Uber, on DoorDash, on Grubhub, it, that problem does not exist. This is a uniquely Instacart problem where they've created this security mechanism that says, if there is a service trying to pull data from your, your app, we will log you out, meaning an Instacart shopper gets kicked out, stops getting push notifications about the next order, doesn't know. So it, they've created this, like, I don't even know that they've done this intentionally. It's just the way that they've architected their login system. And so we've got Instacart users that have to, like, every time they they up, you know, they, they sync their moves profile, they then have to remember to go back to their Instacart app and re-log in, which is just a really crappy experience. So we're trying to address this. We're talking to the team at Instacart about it. But frankly, it's probably going to take hundreds of Instacart shoppers like sending emails to their service desk saying, "That's why I'm the perfect guy. Uh, I did. I've done. (laughs) I've done one. I can contact him and be like, okay, I did one. Until you can do this with moves, I'm done.' Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Uh, no, we need more people like you. And I love this sort of like grassroots campaign concept of just getting people like working together on things like that. So, well, um, it was really great learning about this, you know, on the website, um, you know, you definitely don't see, or at, you know, at first glance, you don't see a lot of where you guys are going. You see, I mean, you see great things, but you, I'm really you know interested. What I'd encourage you to read and I'd encourage your, re- your listeners to read is there's a section on the website called our vision. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I dive in pretty deep there into sort of I'll, like, I'll put that link for sure. Go. Maybe I'll put that instead of the landing page or I'll put both, but I'll put yeah. it abo- above the landing page. Yeah, I love it because that that'll give you a good sense of like where the roadmap is taking us and what the ultimate aspiration is. Yeah, is there? By the way, is there? Um, let's let's before we end this here today, let's let's let you plug any socials, your website, 
whatever so that people can find you. Yeah, sure. I love it. I, I'm personally, uh, I'm most active on Twitter at, at Matt Spoke, M-A-T-T-S-P-O-K-E. Okay. Uh, obviously, Moves fi- moves is on Twitter as well, Moves Finance, uh, movesfinancial.com, you already mentioned, um, and then we're available both on iOS and Android, so uh, users can find us on whatever. No fa- no Facebook, no Instagram. Yeah, there's a, there's or... a Facebook group where we're, we're starting to like dabble a little bit with some like TikTok and um, you know, we, we're, we're testing pretty much all channels, but I'll say that the primary ones that we, we rely on, uh, tend to be, um, uh, Twitter and our website and, you know, a couple of other places, but people can are, find us on most social platforms. Are you on TikTok now? Just I curious. Am yeah. I, I am personally on TikTok as a passive observer. I can't oh. say I've, 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 no, no. I've like, I, I, I used the, to be the, the passive vibe. observer too, but now I kind of do these 15 minute little briefs, either plugs for other podcasts or other things. We've done a little things, bit of campaigning on, on TikTok. Where so we, I'll, we, I'll give you guys one as well. I was going to tag you into it, but yeah, I Moves didn't. definitely has a TikTok profile. Uh, okay, that's, I'd have to I'd have to like send you the actual tag. Um, but we've done a couple of little like video campaigns on TikTok where gig workers can like upload a story of a tip or a good experience they had, and we were giving. There was a few months where we were giving away two hundred dollars a day to gig workers who were sharing stories on TikTok with us. Oh, uh, we yeah. were like testing this out as like a, a, a campaign. Uh, so we'll probably do more of that type of stuff in the future, but we just, you know, we're still learning. But all the other socials, can I find them on your website just so I can put them all into the show notes? Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, uh, no, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn are on there. Um, and I can get you TikTok as well. And, um, but they're on the bottom of the, they're on the bottom of our website. Yeah. If you could even just, just link the, I mean, you can just link the TikTok one or send the TikTok one to me if you don't want me linking it. Or yeah, if you do no want me linking, that's fine. But I just, I was going to plug, I was going to tag you in one. Cause I do, you know, I just, I, I just like doing them. I just did three for Jason Thierry. I told do, him it was the, I told you, him it was the trilogy. I'll send you our TikTok profile. Okay. Cause I mean, I only do the 15 second ones, but I make them pretty funny. And I like always give a plug, like, you know, why aren't you <laughs> on this? You know, get on this. Yeah, I love what it. Doing? <laughs> Maybe I'm not an influencer. In. I'm a pusher. <laughs> get on here, man. but uh thanks again for your time this was a great conversation david said to say hello um i'm guessing that you're giving him back a hello and i'll pass that along (laughs) yeah please do i I, david and i are probably overdue to catch up so it's a good yeah he said it was like eight nine months ago and he was like oh yeah i know like so it's i even got from his tone like he was like I need to, I should shout out to him. And I was like, yeah, dude, why don't you? Yeah. I mean, he has been in Hong Kong for the past five weeks and he spent three of those weeks in, in quarantine when he first got there. Oh, wow. You have to stay in a hotel. You're not allowed to leave the room. Um, well, he's back now though. So he's good time back. For me he's to get been back, back for about calendar. three days. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, thanks for your time today. And uh, let's absolutely stay in touch for sure. Definitely. Good meeting you, Steve. This is good. fun. Yeah. Good to meet you too. Thanks. Take care. So what'd you all think? I think that uh, Moves has uh, a great game plan. You know, let's see it executed. I know that they've been at this for a little bit too. They're not exactly just out of the gate here. They're not green. Um, you know, they're they're uh, they've been doing this for a little bit, and let's let's see what they get done. Because what Matt and I were talking about, I I think sounds like an awesome idea. You know, um, I'll be honest. At first, I kind of it kind of caught my eye as like a credit card. Is this a credit card for gig workers? What is this? Um, I don't know if that came in some old branding I saw or just some of the pictures that showed a card. Um, But that's kind of how it first caught my eye. Then I learned a little more. 
Um, then I dug into it and, and researched it a little bit and got on their website and started learning about it. But, you know, I think this conversation really helped to what's what Matt's trying to do over there. So that's it for the for that's it for this week in this episode. However, don't forget to join us on December 9th, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can go to uberliftdrivers.com and there will be links up. I will put an article up on um, Wednesday, so the day before, the 8th. And it will have links to all three of them, I hope, and uh, you will just be able to link to the to the one you want. So on on uh, if you go to uberliftdrivers.com, though, and you click Facebook, it will take you right to the Facebook group page where this will be streaming. If you click YouTube, you will be taken right to the Rideshare Rodeo YouTube page. And if you click um, Twitter, uh, I, I think you're taken to the Uber Lyft driver's Twitter page. But in the profile there, it says, um, you know, partner with, uh, partnered with Rideshare Rodeo, and you can click over to there. Otherwise, you can just, at Rideshare Rodeo is our Twitter handle. So um, on any of those, you can find, uh, you can find the live stream, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, this Thursday, December 9th. Karen Anderson and myself really deep diving into AB5. Join us, bring questions, bring some popcorn. We're going to have fun. Um, And then next week, I got a a great episode for you guys. And uh, next Thursday, we are doing another uh, Thursday Live. So I will talk about that next week as we come up closer on it. But it's going to be another fun one. So y'all be good. Um, y'all take care of one another and, uh, be safe during these holiday times and, uh, yeah, go spin some good into this crazy world and we will see you back here next time on Rodeo. Peace.